Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Of Christ, many, many times, I'd have to say most of the times, that it's, it's, it, it comes out of us back out as a song. We release it as a song. And you go all throughout the scripture, a lot of the prophecies, you know, of the Psalms, filled with prophetic words, were, were songs. A lot of the, of the Old Testament prophets, their revelations were songs. The New Testament, um, with, like they were talking about before, Mag- Mary and, and Simeon and, and Zechariah, they were, they were songs being sung back to the Lord. So you just think about it. One of the greatest, important spiritual seasons in the history of our world took place in the 1700s. There was a, an awakening that took place in, and through, all throughout Europe and took place in North America. It was a major, major visitation. And out of that revival, it was, you know, it was, it's, the names that come to, to mind are George Whitfield and Charles Wesley and John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards and many, many, many others. But, um, you know, you think back of it, most the common church person today would never be able to recall or never would have even read any one of John Wesley's sermons or George Whitfield's sermons or even Jonathan Edwards' sermons. But every single church person has sung Charles Wesley's songs. I mean, you think I'm exaggerating. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. That whole, you, and you go read that song, it's filled with theology. Absolutely filled with theology. It's the revelation of God given at someone's heart. Someone was like they saw for themselves the goodness of God. Now, there's another, another song. Maybe, maybe some of you ever heard, has anyone ever heard of this song before? It's called Handel's Messiah. Anyone ever heard of that song? Well, it was written, a guy shut himself up for about, I think it was like 20 days and wrote the whole thing without coming out of his house. And it was after conversion. It took place in the 1740s, influenced by the Whitfield, by Whitfield and the Wesleys. This Handel guy gets a revelation of God, locks himself up. He has a, he has, he, if you describe his story of how he wrote it, it's like heaven was open and he saw Revelations chapter four. He saw the throne room with the angels and the seraphim and, the, and all of the angels worshiping God and the elders around the throne bowing. And this song just came to him and he just was writing it down. The, the words and the chorus, it's just supernatural. It's, it's, it's revelation. Amen. So don't be afraid to sing your songs. And, and I don't know about, you know, I'm not going to sing the songs of the world. They, they really have nothing to sing about. But we, we, we have something to sing about. We have something to sing about. And at Christmas time, we really have something to sing about. Go, go just, if you can get some time, take some of the old Christmas carols and look at the words, look at the old words, some of the old ones from the 1700s. You will be amazed. Joy to the World is another one of those, written in the 1700s. Revelation. Hallelujah. Anyway, um, yeah, we've got some awesome things coming up the next couple of weeks that I want to mention to you. Of course, we have the Christmas party this Wednesday night. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a blast. Um, then we have um, our Christmas Eve service. It's 7 o'clock. It's a candlelight communion service. It's not a real long service, but it's a very special, intimate time with God. Um, it's going to be a powerful time. We also have um, next, a week from tonight, next Sunday night, we have a night of, a, a worship, night of worship, Christmas worship. It can be Sunday night, a week from today. 
And one other thing, oh yeah, the New Year's Eve, we're going to have a, a service at 7 o'clock on New Year's Eve, a night of prophecy and worship, and um, we we're just expecting God to do some awesome things during this, these last few weeks of 2013, anticipating things to come. So I hope you can make some plans to be part of that. It's going to be awesome. I want to go back today to um, the scripture I was preaching on last week, and Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, I love this um, this verse, we just got really touched the edge of it, and I wanted to, to go back to it again today. Um, it says, unto us, unto us, unto me. Let's, let's, let's read that. Unto me a child is born. Say that. Unto me a child is born. Unto me a son is given. And the government of my life, say it with me, the government of my life will be upon his shoulder. I love that. I mean, that is awesome to me. Jesus was born for me. I've been in his heart and in his mind, and this is such an amazing thing. You know, he's got millions of sons and daughters, but each one of us are personal, as personal as an only son. He loves us intimately. He loves us personally. He loves us differently from the way he loves anyone else. And that's what, you know, I always, I preach about Joseph, and it says, and you know, Joseph, of course, was a, is, a, is a type of Christ. But he's also a type of a son of God. And um, he, he was, he was, it, was said, it was said about him by, that his father loved him more than all of his other sons. That's what it says about Joseph. I mean, you can't really say that. If you're a, guy, a father with a bunch of kids, you can't say that this is your favorite son. But, but, but it was obvious that, that Jacob's favorite son was Joseph. And it's, it's a picture of, of my relationship with the Lord. I'm his favorite son. And, and, and if you have a relationship with him, you're his favorite son. It's possible with God. With man, there's lots of things impossible. With God, all things are possible. And he has an intimate love for you like no other person. He, he, for me, the son was born. It's personal for me. Christmas is personal for me. Oh yeah, it's all about me because God so loved the world that he gave his son for me. And my testimony, my testimony is what I give back to God. It's how I glorify him with my testimony. For, so this government of my life is on his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful. Wonderful, of course, is, is supernatural. The name of Jesus for a Christian, is, it puts the fear of God in our lives and it puts the joy of the Lord in our hearts. It brings a security inside of us and a confidence that everything's gonna be all right because in the name of Jesus, there's a supernatural element. His name is wonderful. He's also to us our counselor, which I spoke about this last Last Wednesday night, but this morning I want to go to this, this, this awesome phrase that Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied about this child, this baby that was going to be born. In Isaiah 7, 14, he said that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a child, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This, and then he goes on in chapter 9 and said that his name, his name would be called Mighty God. The actual words that he used as a phrase in, in Hebrew called El Gabor, and El is one of the names, one of the Hebrew names for God. He would be called God. This child who was born for us, this, this child who, who became a human being, this child would be called God, and not just God, he'd be called El Gabor, which is the, the warrior God. That's who he is. 
He's the warrior God. That's who he is. No weapon formed against me will prosper because I'm in, in the hands of El Gabor. He has my life in his hand. He has me in his hands. Uh, these couple of scriptures come to my mind when I think about this, this revelation given to us by Isaiah, the prophet. It's, of course, we think of, first of all, the deity of Jesus Christ. John said in John chapter one, John's account, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. He went on to say in, in John chapter one, verse 14, that the word became flesh and tabernacle pitched his tent amongst us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was full of grace and full of truth. This is who he is. This, this God pitched his tent amongst us and lived amongst us. One day, one day, this is gonna be the greatest moment of your life. The greatest moment of your life. One day, these eyes will see the man, Jesus Christ, the human Jesus Christ, the God who became a man. I'll see him with these eyes. You'll see him with these eyes. It'll be like no experience you've ever imagined before. You'll look upon the Lord Jesus. You'll look upon him like, like John looked upon him on the Isle of Patmos, like Paul looked upon him on the road to Damascus, like Stephen looked upon him when he looked into heavens and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm gonna see him for myself, this El Gabor. He's, it also, it's also it, um, reminds us that he is our God. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of of his power, which he by himself purged our sins and set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yeah, he is the warrior God. He has stripped the enemy of my soul of all of his power over me. You know, there was a time in my Christian experience that I have to testify, this was, this was really pre-94 for me. Pre-94, I have to say, I gave far too much attention and far too much credit to the devil. Oh no, yeah, uh, that, was, that was pretty weak. Lots of Christians like to give attention to the devil. It can be fun to give attention to the devil. You know, and, 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 and it wasn't, you know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't talking about how great he was because I knew he was evil, but I would, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would magnify his supposed greatness by, by always addressing him and talking to him and trying to pull him down, not realizing the utter defeat that he experienced at the cross. Not realizing that he was absolutely paralyzed toward me. The only power he has to work against my life is the power of deception. And if I expose his lies, there's absolutely nothing he can do in my life. And it said, look at this, he has stripped, Jesus has stripped the devil of all of his power over me. I have nothing to fear, I'm in the hand of God. Look at this scripture. It says, it says in, in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, and you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses 
trespasses and having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All my wrongdoing, all my sinfulness, all the garbage in my life has been finally nailed to the cross. My sinfulness was nailed to the cross. And this is, the, this is, this is an awesome, this is an awesome verse. Having disarmed, having disarmed, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Oh yeah, every, every claim that the enemy had on my life was because of my sinfulness. My sinfulness has been nailed to the cross. I stand before God absolutely clean. I stand before the Father as clean and as righteous as Jesus, the Son of God. Just as the enemy has no claim to the Son of God, he has no claim over my life. He, the El Gabor God, he became a man. This mighty God became a man and he defeated totally and finally the enemy of my soul at the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. Thank you, Jesus. He is my warrior God. He also, he also is this El Gabor. He has my back all the time because let's face it. We still, even as Christians, We do stupid things that come back and can have the potential of biting us on the backside, if you know what I'm talking about. Every one of us. Has anyone in here not done anything stupid in the last last year? How about the last week? Or how about in the last 24 hours or or since you woke up this morning? (laughs) Well, he has my back. He has my back. He absolutely has my back. Look at this path, this is one of the most incredible, this, is, this might make somebody have one of those fits I've been talking about. We know that all things, all things, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He even turns my mistakes around for my good. I don't know how he does it, but somehow he does it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Are you one of the elect of God? I'm one of his chosen. I'm elected by God. I'm chosen by God. Who, pray tell, can bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody can. There is no charge against me. I'm covered with blood. I'm dressed with Christ. When the, when, here's, you know, when the father looks at me, all he sees is his son. When the devil looks at me, all he sees is Jesus. That's all he can see. He sees Jesus on my face. He sees Jesus on my hands. He hears Jesus in my words because Christ is in me speaking out of my life. Amen. He has my back. Who shall bring against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, who's also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet... Even, in, even in, the, in the worst possible circumstances. 
in the worst possible circumstances, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Why, El Gabor's on my side. He's working on my behalf. He's, 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 he's working on my behalf. He is, his word is working inside of my life, and he's redeemed me from the hand of the enemy. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has your back. He's had your back from before you were born. He had your back the day you called upon the name of the Lord. Now let me, let me share this with you. This does not give us an excuse to go out there and be morons and just live carnal lives knowing he's got our back. No, 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 this revelation brings us to our knees. This revelation is awesome. It's a revelation of God's goodness, his greatness, and his power. And when I see it, I wanna live godly in Christ Jesus. I wanna cooperate with him and his goodness for my life. Amen, yeah, he has, he is the, he is this El Gabor. Yeah, he has my back. And his, it's, his, he has the, also has the power, the power of signs and wonders working on my behalf. Oh yeah, the, the signs and wonders have not passed away. Signs and wonders did not pass away with the last apostle. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, God's power has not diminished even an iota. Impossible. How can you diminish omnipotence? How can you drain the ocean dry? Our God is an ocean of power and of love and might. Oh no, he, he has, he's not even begun to run short. He's not even re- begun to run short. There, there is powerful signs and wonders and miracles available and flowing in the church today at an unprecedented rate. It's time for you, it's time for me to tap into the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of signs and wonders. El Gabor, this awesome mighty God, seated at the right hand of God, is filled with power. This power comes upon us through the baptism in the Holy Ghost. It says in Mark chapter five, verse 30, this is talking about Jesus when he was here on earth passing through a crowd. Many of you know this story. It's the story of the woman with the issue of blood who had been sick for 12 years. She was passing through the crowd and she touched the edge of Jesus' garment. Unknowingly, she touched him, snuck in. She snuck a blessing and she snuck the power of God and she crept in there unknown and touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. Power, that power's real. It can be felt. You feel it going out and you feel it coming in. And it affects every part of you. It'll affect your mind. It'll give you a sound mind. It'll affect your soul. It'll restore your soul. The power of God will affect your body and heal your broken body. Oh yeah, it's real. Immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? This power is awesome. Well, today, this Jesus, this Jesus clothed with power is seated at the right hand of God. And if we could see, 
in reality, if we could see what's true and see what is real, we, our eyes would be open and we'd see what John the apostle saw in Revelations 22 when he saw Jesus seated at the right hand of God and flowing out from the Father, proceeding in an endless flow of love and life and yes, power. It was flowing out from him, this river of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, the river's flowing today. The river's flowing today. There's a flood tide. There's a forecast in the word of God of a flood tide, an unprecedented move of the power of the Holy Ghost in the last days. There's, there's gonna be the greatest movings of his spirit, not just in pockets, but the whole earth is gonna be filled with the glory of the Lord. How about you? How about you? Get a hold of this. You know, the, this, it's, it's funny. God sits in the heavens absolutely and laughs. And you know, the charismatic full gospel churches, even the, the, the denominations, the assemblies of God. You know, I, I, have a, I have a license in my pocket. I'm an ordained assembly of God minister. I could show it to you if you'd like. But the, 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 the denomination that I, that's ordained me, most of the pastors have moved away from the power of God. Most of them have. They've they found a better way. They think that signs and wonders, speaking in tongues, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Ghost to move, worshiping for extended periods of time. They think that they found a better way. I've got an idea, let's shorten the service. Let's not talk about the things that are controversial. Let's not talk about the blood. Let's not talk about the power of the Spirit. Let's not give altar calls. Let's not lay hands on people. Let's not let the music get too intimate. Let's just tone it way down so the, the carnal people and the lost people will feel comfortable. That's what they've done. That's what's happened. God sits in the heavens and laughs. He sits in the heavens and laughs because he, this, this, this God is so big and so powerful and so amazing. And when he, when, it, when, when the time, his times and seasons, he turns up the volume and just blows the doors off of everything. There'll be no pastor that'll be able to stop the move of God when it amps up to full throttle. Impossible. Oh yeah, oh yeah, this El Gabor, this God. He is a mighty God. He moves in the power of signs and wonders. And the foundation of all that he does is the power of redemption. The power of redemption, Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption through his blood. I'm purchased with blood. I'm bought with blood. I am divine property. I am divine property. I am divine property. I belong to God. I belong to this El Gabor whose power is working on my behalf, working things out for, for my joy and for his glory in my life. I believe it. Isaiah went on to say that his name would be called the everlasting father. Yeah, he's the eternal son. He is the eternal son, born in eternity. Let me read this, this, this um, devotion that I read. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten son who's in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. I didn't write that part, John wrote that part. In the Gospel of Luke, 
and in Matthew, there's an emphasis on the human birth of our Savior. John's account is much different. John turns immediately to the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. Luke and Matthew give us uh, an account of the physical birth of the human. John goes straight into eternity, the blazing glory of the eternal son. John's account is much, oh, say, so um, John is focused on the blazing glory of the son of God. His account does not have the taste of a casual observer, but the sense of someone entranced in the glory of the eternal son. His first words capture the essence of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14, you hear the evidence that settled everything for John. We beheld his glory. Have you beheld his glory? When you do, it changes everything. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your health. It'll change what's important to you. John, that was it for John, that was it. He had seen the glory of the Lord. John had not been present at the manger scene. It had not been there with the shepherds, but John saw the empty tomb for himself. The power of death had been crushed. Crushed the eternal son, had defeated death on the cross, and he was truly alive forevermore. For us today, 2,000 years have passed since the birth of Christ. The wise men have gone, have been gone for generations. The shepherds are just figures on a Christmas card today, but the eternal son is still alive. The word has taken on human flesh. I might not have been with John at the empty tomb. I never heard the angels sing and I never followed a star across the desert, but I too have seen his glory. Christianity is alive and well today because of the testimony of people like you and me who've tasted the goodness of God for ourselves and have embraced the truth of the gospel. As John said, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son, he has has declared him or he has revealed him. Today Jesus is still the word who became flesh. He still tabernacles amongst us through our personal testimony of Jesus. He's still declaring him through your life and testimony. May the eternal son declare his glory in you and through you this Christmas. You know, as I finish up, I want I want to, I want to think about this everlasting father. He's the father. He's the father of a brand new race of people. You know, just as Abraham was the father, he was called the word, if you remember, Abram was first called Abram, which meant exalted father. The Lord visited him while he was still barren, while his wife was still barren. The Lord visited Abram and changed his name to what? Abraham, which meant father of a multitude. He called, God called those things that be not as though they were. He called Abraham the father of a multitude. And Abraham became the father of a multitude. But, but he is really only the type of this promised son. He's the type of this child that would be born for us that Isaiah said his name would be called the everlasting father because he is the father of a brand new race. He has sons and daughters from every tribe, from every tongue, male and female, from every race that's ever lived. He's, he's, he has people from every century and from every generation that are his sons and daughters. He's the father of a brand new race. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. 
He's the Father. He's the everlasting Father. He has made us sons and daughters. I've become a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Today, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not a, no longer a child of darkness. I no longer have the spirit of this world beating in my life. I've been born again. He sent the spirit of adoption into my heart, whereby I cry out, Abba, Father. I have a whole new life, a whole new race, a whole new faith, and I'm part of a whole, whole of generations and generations from ethnic groups, from tribes and tongues, sons and daughters who've been purchased with his blood. He is the everlasting father. He's the eternal son who's redeemed us and raised up a whole new race of human beings, a whole new breed of man, different from that other breed. Thank you, Lord. I want to finish with this, this last thought from Galatians 4. It says, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. It was the perfect timing. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Wow. God's son, born of a woman without a human father in eternity born of the father without a human mother. What a great mystery this son of God and this son of man is. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, listen carefully, if you're a son, how many sons and daughters do we have in here right now? If, if you're a son, if you're a son, then you are an heir of God's. Now I want you to think about this, think carefully about this. We are an heir. Being an heir is a powerful thing. You inherit everything. Your parents, when they die, you're an heir. You inherit everything that they were and everything they are. It comes to you, it becomes your possession. It becomes yours now. Jesus has gone before us, he died for us, and he left for us the last will and testament. We've become his heirs. But my inheritance, my inheritance is not an earthly inheritance. And my inheritance is not just the physical beauty and wealth of heaven. It's not just the possessions and the length of my days. My inheritance, my inheritance. I am an heir of God. He himself is my portion. He himself is my treasure. He's more precious than gold, more precious than silver. I've been purchased with blood and I've been given the inheritance which is God himself. He is mine and I am his. I've become bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. He's become a human. He is mine and I am his. The son was given for me. For me, the son was born. For me, this child was given. My inheritance is Christ. My inheritance is God himself. This is mine and no one can take it away from me. No death can take it away from me. No bill can take it away from me. No stupid government legislation can take it away from me. No problem in this world can take it from me. I have an inheritance that's my portion. It's my portion. Oh, what a change is gonna take place. 
This life is almost over. And people judge one another of their importance by their titles and by their accomplishments. We're going to step to the other side and suddenly everything's going to change. Oh, it's all going to change. We value things that are really invaluable. It's all about to change. It's about to change. A child has been born for us. A son has been given for us. The government shall rest upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God and Everlasting Father. His name shall be called the Prince of Peace. And he is mine. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at victoryfellowship.net for service times and locations.